how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 404, where I sat down with Anna Catherine Clemens, a sports journalist and professor who's written for ESPN, Sports Illustrated, and Men's Health, among others. She's a 17-year veteran writer, reporter, and producer for ESPN. She's written everything from 5,000-word features for Outside the Lines to technical breakdowns for ESPN, the magazine. She's also been published in the Washington Post, the New York Times, Glamour, USA Today, Men's Health, Men's Journal, and the Bleacher Report. In this interview, she talks about bringing a different perspective to sports journalism as a woman, how to make people care about sports from a human perspective, avoiding reverse pyramids as a journalist, and how to share your willingness to succeed. Before we jump in, I also want to announce I'm giving you a free gift. We're giving away 100,000 copies of my first book, Ink by the Barrel, right now for free. That's Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers. You can find that over at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. Get your digital download and audiobook today for free. All right, here's the interview. I always loved writing as a kid. Um, I'm actually in my older son's room, and there's a framed poem on the wall that I wrote in third grade about how babies were born. <laughs> but I used to keep journals. I was just always someone who loved writing. And, you know, you don't really realize that as a kid. Um, and then I went to Davidson College, which is a liberal arts school, and I was an English major. And I realized pretty quickly, like, I loved writing. I did not love math and science. <laughs> Um, and I hoped to turn it somehow into a career, but I didn't really know when I was in college, what that might look like. Um, so I worked in PR and marketing for a few years after undergraduate and I, I enjoyed that, but what I really found that I loved was storytelling and like writing the stories of people and issues. And so I decided to go to graduate school for journalism. Um, and I went to Boston university for my master's and the first semester there I took a class called sports journalism mm. and it was I now teach at the University of Virginia and I call it storytelling through the lens of sports okay and so as soon as I took that class you know I'd always I grew up in Chapel Hill North Carolina cheering for the Tar Heels you know I'd always liked sports I played sports and I just sort of had this awakening to how sport is really a microcosm of society so you can tell stories and understand so much of what is happening in our world through sports mm -hmm. and not in the X's and O's. Here's what happened in the game kind of way, you know, that those stories, I learned how to write those, but what always interested me were the human interest stories um, and not limited to sport, but certainly that was really interesting to me when I was in graduate school. Also because there weren't many women writing in sports media. Um, there were women on television. It's it's still a very male-dominated industry. And I liked the challenge of that, right? Of the fact that I could bring a different perspective to some of these stories than a lot of the voices that were already in that space. Hmm. So that's kind of, I mean, that might be too long, but that's how I got into it. And as soon as I took that class, I thought, wow, I would love to be able to do this for a living. Um, and just pursued it from there, specifically through a lot of internships too. <laughs> 
So I, I'm not far away. I grew up, uh, I live in Winston-Salem, so not far from Chapel Hill. Okay. So I also grew up a, a Tar Heel fan. I wanted to show, I'm reading this book now called Made to Stick. It's a kind of a marketing book, but there's a section in here about Rune Arledge. Do you know who that is? He was kind of, um, so he was kind of in charge of helping ABC teach people to care about NCAA football when it wasn't their team. And that was his big challenge is like, how do you make them understand the region and the school and some of those things? What are some of those tips you look for? Like, how do you find, you know, here's the, like, here's the plot, which is maybe the score, but the theme or the undercarriage or something like that of article, where do you start to dig in with some of those things? That's a great question. That's actually, so my husband is not a sports fan or a sports follower. And it's always my goal to draw him into a story because he doesn't care, right? And he's not invested in the team or the athlete. Um, to me, a lot of storytelling starts with those themes of relatability and connection, right? So I'm never going to shoot a basketball like Stephen Curry, but like, what can I show you about him and his life and who he is and how he got there that you can relate to, right? Mm -hmm. And often, you know, that narrative is triumph over adversity, or we pull out kind of a struggle that someone has faced, whether it be whether the stakes are life and death or the stakes are not so extreme. But finding that point of connection or entry, I think, really makes people care all of a sudden about a, a team or a sport or an athlete in a way that they didn't. I think on television, um, Hard Knocks does this really well, the HBO series that goes behind an NFL team during training camp. Because on the surface, you know, if you don't care about the Arizona Cardinals, which they now do an in-season version as well, which they did with the Cardinals this year, but if you don't care about them, you're probably like, oh, great. But then you watch an episode and you see J.J. Watts struggle with like, Am I going to retire now? What am I doing after I retire? I'm about to become a father. You know, all these themes people can connect with. And now they care. They're invested in him. They're invested in the team. They're invested in his story. And so for me, even as I'm reporting a story, whether it's one that I've pitched or I've been assigned, I look for that through my interviews and my reporting. Like where, where, what scenes and anecdotes can I use and experiences that will connect with that reader? And some of that, like, it seems like, I think you interviewed Joe Hawley, which is a retired Bucks player. I talked to Joe a couple of years ago. He kind of retired, dropped a bunch of weight on keto, and then went lived in a van for a while. So the title of former NFL player is like almost insignificant to something like that. Do you see it as just kind of a, a start, a starting point? And then how do you know, like, is it an in intangible that like, oh, this is the real story? Is it obvious? How do you think about some of those things? So for his story, I was really interested in, I mean, the fact that A, he did that, right? You don't see many, the majority of NFL players who retire don't go live in a van, drive across right. the country. A lot of them do struggle with what now, um, but his what now was so different. And so I was really intrigued by that. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of, to me, a lot of great story ideas come from just a news headline, right? Mm -hmm. Where that was essentially the news headline former nfl player you know lives in van drives cross country loses weight yeah okay but like what else is there right and so to me if you're curious about what else is there and what more is there to this story then that's probably a story worth pursuing or worth telling um and so to me right like i actually it's funny most of the stories i do um like for the new york times or men's health or espn like I don't write the titles. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that title just doesn't really represent what the story is, right? But 
you hope, I mean, especially with that lead or hook at the beginning that like you can paint a picture where your reader is like, well, you know, the title isn't really indicative of what this is, but I want to read more. Right. Uh, and so for him, you know, I was just really curious. It seemed like, to your point, like NFL player was not his identity, right? Mm -hmm. But he didn't really figure that out about himself until after he was done with football. And football certainly influenced who he is and the decisions and directions he's turned in his life. But it's not how he identified, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I was writing for so many publications. Do you have kind of a, a combination of like some articles are written in that traditional like reverse pyramid where all the information's in the first block? And then like, do you typically go in knowing that you can write it more like, okay, I've actually got 5,000 words. The big reveal can be in the last paragraph. How do you kind of balance those two types of writing? Yes, that's a great question. I think for writers, like figuring out your voice and you know this too, like it's so hard and it's an evolution that never really stops. So I think for me, I try to shy away from reverse pyramid in general, um, but I do try to follow narrative arc and narrative structure. So, you know, having like a good lead or hook, some rising action where we have some good transitions, but it helps build that tension, that climactic moment or scene our falling action, and then some kind of resolution, right? So I, I do look for those pieces in stories. Um, to me, I never write a story the same way. <laughs> so sometimes I start with the ending, right? Sometimes I start with the lead. And, and that'll happen like while I'm reporting, right? Um, and I teach a sports journalism class now, and I assign the students a 12 to 1600 word feature. And this is the thing that they really struggle with. They're like, well, tell us where to start. And I'm like, you have to figure that out, right? It's pretty subjective, but you should be thinking about it the whole time you're working on your story, you know? And so hopefully, like if you interview enough people, are curious about enough scenes and moments, get some great quotes, like to me, it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle and you'll be able to figure out, well, this piece should go here and this piece should go here. Um, but for me, I mean, the one sort of thing I really don't like doing is inserting myself in the story. So you do see this a lot with like amazing writers like Wright Thompson, but just who I am, like, again, knowing my own voice and style, I don't like that. Like, I want to walk the reader up to the glass window. I want them to see the story unfold, but I do not want to be a character. Mm -hmm. And so that's something where, again, like some writers love that and want yeah. to do and, and pursue stories where they can do that. Right. Um, so fig I think that's something you just kind of figure out over time. And but again, it never it's never like very clear to you in the same way that I feel it's never easy to write a story. I mean, I've been doing this for what, 15, 20 years, and I still struggle every time, you know, and I'm like, should this really be the lead? Do I need this information? Like, is this important to the reader? You know, like, but to me, that's part of the joy of doing it is that challenge, right? It's, if it were easy, everybody would do it. <laughs> right. Are there any, uh, thinking back on your career, any particular leads you wrote that really stand out? Where you're like, oh, this is it. This is great. Because I know a lead can be so important. I think Maybe John McPhee said, if you don't have a great lead, you don't have a story. And once you get that, the rest of it flows pretty easy. But any that really stand out to you? That's a great question. I don't know. I I don't think my leads are my strong, the strongest <laughs> part of my writing. So I always, I do tend to look for a scene, like okay. a great scene that is like a microcosm of what the story will be. Um, and I'll say, not my own writing, there's a piece from GQ that Karen Russell wrote um, so she's a fiction writer primarily, and she did a 
feature on a bullfighter in Spain. I think this was from like 2002 or I'm, don't quote me on the year, but to me, I always show this to my students in the second class because it's one of the best leads I've ever read where she was not there. She was not in the bullfighting arena, but she puts you there and she opens the piece from the perspective of the bull rather than the bullfighter. Um, Jose Juan Padilla is the bullfighter. He ends up, it, I mean, it's very gory and gruesome, so warning. Um, but in that opening lead, you see what happens to him. Um, and the whole story is about how, again, like relatability, he 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 doesn't really want to live his life without bullfighting, even though it, it almost kills him and his journey back. Um, so that lead, I just think simple, succinct writing, clear where you show the reader is just so powerful. And so I try to do that. Um, but I would not, I would not say I always succeed. Like I did a feature last spring on a young woman named Andrea who has ALS and she wanted to become the first person with ALS to complete 50 marathons in 50 States. Hmm. And she did, which is amazing. There's now actually a documentary film about her that just debuted in Santa Barbara film festival. But I thought, all right, how can I make you care about her story if you don't know her if you don't know what ALS is right mm -hmm. so to me like a microcosm of her story and all the challenges she faces was I just gave you a scene of a race in New Orleans where she got a flat tire and she's not able-bodied enough to change the tire right mm -hmm. so it was just this series of of small obstacles where she almost didn't get to race the marathon and then she almost didn't finish it and I put a line at the end where it was like it was something about time and it was like but that was her journey with ALS, always racing against time. And, and that's not the right line. But I actually thought that was a really good lead. Yeah. And my editor said, um, like she wrote, like, this is this is a perfect line to end the lead because it was like, now you're curious, can she do it? But also you understand, like, you're constantly facing a clock when you have ALS. Like, it's, it's the clock of your mortality. And in the day-to-day, -day, there's all these, like, limitations on what you can do and where you can go. Um, so it's little things like that where I don't think I've written, like, the world's greatest lead, but I do, if I can, like, paint a good scene for you and then have a kicker at the end of that lead that I think does well to get to the rest of the story, then I feel good. Do you go? Do you mainly talk about uh, the writing process with students? Do students also ask you about logistics of, like, breaking into, like, getting, you know, how do you, how does one... Imagine after you've written for Sports Illustrated USA Today, they can kind of fall like dominoes to some degree after you're in the circle. But as far as breaking in, what advice might you share for those? Yes, I think it. some of it depends on like your experience level in terms of how long you've lived in the working world. Right. Um, I actually just met with a former student who she's 24 and she wants to break into freelancing. And it's not I'm not prohibitive about it, but it, it certainly once you're in the world long enough, it's not that big, like, <laughs> especially sports media specifically. I mean, so many of the editors that I write for today, for example, I write, I do profiles for Fox Sports Digital. And two of my editors there were editors of mine at ESPN. Right. And so when they moved over, you know, it was sort of natural for me to then say, hey, can I do this feature on Darren Waller? And they were like, great, you know. So I think when you're first breaking in, I mean, a practical thing I tell all my students is if this is something you want to do, like buy a website that is your domain name. Mm -hmm. uh, so mine is www.annacatherineclemens.com and, mm -hmm. and just start aggregating your work there, even if it's not formally published. Like if you're just going to write something for the neighborhood listserv, but you want to be a published and established writer, like start aggregating the work that you're doing. And then you need to really get familiar with specific publications and figure out 
what is unique and different that I can offer this publication that they're not already doing? Mm-hmm. Um, because I say, I mean, it's it sounds harsh, but I, I always say one strike and you're out with editors you don't know. So if you're going to pitch an idea to an editor you don't know, if you're just going to blind pitch them and they're getting 200 emails that day, you better have a great idea because if you don't, you know, they're going to read it and then they'll be like, eh. And then the next time you email, they're like, well, that idea was not that great. Right. Whereas on the opposite side, if you pitch a great idea, then they're like, oh my gosh, I want to work with you, you know? And so then they're going to read the next email. So it's like, it takes patience, which is hard to do. Mm -hmm. It takes knowing like, you know, men's health, for example, that I freelance for again, my editor there was a former ESPN colleague that's very service oriented, right? So I understand that I'm not a cisgender male working out, but like I can figure out if I want to pitch him a story, a feature, or a more like how Travis Kelsey gets into shape for the NFL season, I need to understand the voice of the magazine, the style, and then what can I offer that's a little different, right? In terms of the stories that I'm going to contribute. So then he will call upon me and say, hey, like we're working on the 2023 NFL preview can I assign you these stories? Um, I think for me specifically, a lot of my freelancing came after I worked at ESPN for a while. So that was an advantage in that I already knew some of the people in the industry, mm-hmm. but I worked really hard in my early years there to constantly be curious about good story ideas, really understand the nuances of what made a good pitch or a good story idea, really understand the voice and the tone and the style. Like, when ESPN, the magazine existed, which is where I started as an intern and then was contractually hired, their style and voice was very different, you know, and it was it was really important to the magazine that it be consistent. And so you had to really understand that you couldn't just pitch a story on Chris Paul because he's Chris Paul. You know, you had to understand, well, there's a theme to this issue and this is a forward thinking magazine and we're trying to appeal to this demographic, you know, so I think that part people don't want to do. They just want to pitch the story and start writing. But, you know, if it's an airline magazine, you know, I do content for hemispheres. If it's garden and gun, like whatever the magazine is or whatever the publication is, right. It might be digital only like understand what it is really well and then figure out. Sometimes it's, it's the other way too, where you'll have a great idea and you'll think I have this awesome story idea. Where can I pitch this? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it New York times Sunday style section? Is it architectural digest? You know, like you have to figure out where might this story go that makes the most sense. Do you think our first timers better off pitching a really great, like kind of evergreen idea or should they be thinking seasonally? So if I'm pitching to a sports magazine, I can maybe kind of guess what they're going to be talking about. Garden and Gun, which you mentioned, might be a little bit harder because they've kind of got their own themes. I don't really know what they're going to do 90 days from now, you know, even though even if I've read a dozen issues, you know. I think for some magazines like Garden and Gun, they have an editorial calendar and that can be like a loose guide for you Mm -hmm. where, you know, if it is seasonal, like if you want to pitch a feature on the best turkey hunter in Georgia, like I'm making this up, but, um, you know, you should probably know, well, when is turkey hunting season? Because they're probably going to want that story almost as like a preview or a lead into that season. Like Mm -hmm. I always tell my students, you know, don't pitch if you think. Brock Purdy is going to be the best quarterback in the NFL next fall. Don't pitch a Brock Purdy feature right now because people don't care that much. You know, it's the NFL offseason, it's the combine, it's the draft. Like that, those are the stories sports outlets want. If you really want to pitch like who is Brock Purdy and you have great access to whoever he is, you know, mm-hmm. the summer is a great time to report that, right? Or the spring, because chances are he has a little more time. Um, but don't pitch that right now, right? So 
it is good to try to understand because an editor will ask you why now, like why this story now, even if it's a more evergreen idea. Like I did a feature for ESPN, the magazine with a colleague on pitchers and their hand care, right? Like how they take care of their hands and their fingernails, um, which actually is like a multi-million dollar decision that people <laughs> don't really think about, right? If they get hangnails or calluses or blisters or cuticles, and they were doing crazy, like very outside the box things. Some go to nail salons and did not want to like be on the record about that. But, you know, some of them carry around like infrared therapy kits and, and all these things. Right. And this was several years ago. But we thought of this idea sort of late in the season. And then we realized we have to really report this quickly to run it during the MLB season. Even better if we can get a pitcher in there who's in the playoffs. Right. Because then. Right editors are more intrigued, like, oh, yes, great. You've got Clayton Kershaw in here. He's not in the piece. Uh, Walker Bueller is, though, a different Dodgers pitcher at the time. But then they can look at that and say, oh, great. Like, we have a perfect peg for now. So it doesn't. it's not totally prohibitive, but I would say it, it always helps to have a sense of why now when you're pitching an idea. So I imagine once you've um, got the green light or you've got some ideas you're kind of working on, you know what to focus on, but how much time do you spend working on your other, like the, the, I think it's what's called like the iceberg effect of like, you really have to know sports in general. How much time do you feel like you have to just know what's going on? Or is it just enough to follow certain people? Or how do you kind of do those aspects too, to stay up to date? Okay. Spoiler Brock, I am not a big sports fan. <laughs> so <laughs> honestly, I tell my students all the time when I was full-time at ESPN, that was very intimidating to me mm. in that in the day-to-day, -day, I did not play every fantasy sports mm. league. I did not follow every team. Like in the office, they'd be like spouting stats to each other over cubicle <laughs> walls. And I was just like, head down, do my work. So I do not, I think you need to make sure you research and are really, really well prepared when you go into a story to where you feel like an expert in it. But by no means do I feel I have to be an expert in the day-to-day. -day. Now, I get sports e-newsletters, so I have a general sense of what is happening in the sports world at large, right? But more often, I just look through, and often for me, like, the first story I did for ESPN's Outside the Lines was an idea I got from Science Magazine. Like, hmm. there was a ticker about some new um, technology treatment that they were using on people who were paralyzed to try to help them stand and walk again. And this was years ago. But it was a collegiate baseball player who had been hit by a car in a hit and run who was the first test subject. And it turns out, you know, Oregon, he played at Oregon State. They're a really premier program. He would have been in the major leagues had he not, you know, suffered this injury. But that idea, you know, did not come from like Oregon, following Oregon State or even following college baseball. I always try to look a little outside the box of where the everyday sports fan is looking, right? Because what Stephen A. Smith is talking about on his show is like what everyone is talking about in sports pretty much. Mm -hmm. Right. So to me, it's like goes back to what's new and unique and different that I can pitch or that I can look for. Um, I would never say pitch an outlet that you don't know what they are trying to cover. Right. So right. again, going back to like the airline magazine example, you know, that's a monthly publication where they just want Joe Schmo sitting in the seat to flip through it and be interested. So it's general interest, but like, again, they're not going to run a baseball story in November. So like, if you really think, you know, like leading into the Olympics, they're probably going to want something, right? Because that's a unique and sort of extraordinary event. So if you want to pitch them an Olympic idea, like have a sense of, well, who are going to be the big, biggest name athletes coming into these Olympics? Because 
something like an airline magazine, they probably want more like a listicle, right? Where it's like, here are the top five Olympian, US Olympians to watch for most likely to win gold. They don't necessarily need a deep dive on one of the athletes, right? So it's understanding if I want to pitch a place, if I'm not an expert in what I'm pitching, how can I research and prepare enough so that I seem like one? And sort of the the way I, I literally learned that like through trial by fire in that when I was full-time at ESPN, like one of the first years I was there, they said, we're going to send you to cover the college the NCAA volleyball national championships. And I knew nothing of college volleyball. I'd never played volleyball, but immediately I was like, all right, I need to become an expert in it. And (laughs) forgive me, because I don't even remember. I think it was a final four, you know, even the structure I didn't know. But as soon as I knew that was the story I was going to be covering, I memorized and learned everything I could about those teams, about how the sport is played, about what the playoffs look like, you know, and so you can make yourself an expert pretty quickly in something, but it's also, it can be very clear to editors if you're not, right? If you're trying to pitch something and profess to be an expert or to have this great knowledge, they can proceed through that pretty quickly, right? And I also don't, I I mean, personally, I don't think it's bad if you pitch an idea and you say like, this is something I'm really curious about. I don't have all the information yet, or I don't have my exact angle yet. But this, to me, this is what the story will be about. I think that's okay. Um, Again, like I'm a little more veteran, so maybe that's why I can get away with that sometimes. But, you know, I would never say like, I know NFL quarterbacks better than anyone. And this is why we should be writing about so-and-so. You know, like I just don't think, I think you need to be honest about who you are and treat it seriously enough that if you do need to have a lot of knowledge about the topic, you will learn it in time to produce a great story. Right. What's the name of the um, course you're teaching at the moment? I, so I teach four classes. Um, I'm on the general faculty, but the three I consistently teach, and probably the one most connected to this conversation is sports journalism. Mm-hmm. And then I teach a sports media production. I teach a class, athletes activism in the media. Mm-hmm. And then this semester, I'm teaching a class called Storytelling Across Mediums. So not specific to writing, not specific to sports, just how to be an effective storyteller, regardless of sort of where you want to go in life. Is there like a really common misconception your students have about sports journalism? Yes. <laughs> they think it's very glamorous and exciting <laughs> all the time. Right. Okay. Um, any other things that, is there any, like early in your career, any, any bad advice you heard trying to break in that you wish people would stop repeating? Ooh, bad advice. I think something I wish people had told me more, sort of a different way to answer that is to not, to be unabashed in like who you are and, and that you want to succeed. Um, I know as a woman, particularly, I was very quiet because I felt like, again, I didn't want to. Like I would have other reporters come up and try to challenge me on, you know, if we were in the Red Sox clubhouse, they'd be like, well, bad example, because I know the answer, but they'd be like, you know, when was the last time the Red Sox won the World Series? You know, and they were just trying to test me when I I sort of want to turn to them and say, you know, I mean, I'm here to do a story on David Ortiz. Like, I don't actually need that information. I wouldn't do that. I was just quiet. Right. And I wish I had like leaned more into like who I am as a writer and as a storyteller and not shy away from leaning into that. Um, there were also, I mean, this was 2004 or five when I started. So there were a lot of like presumptions about why women wanted to work in sports media. And I fought very hard against those. Right. And so again, 
I just constantly felt this need to like prove my worth and to be there. And I wish someone had just said to me, like, you are here, like you, you are good at what you do. And that's why you're here. And like, don't be afraid of that. And like, lean into that and be bold because I was just much more timid. I didn't want to speak out, you know, even in clubhouses, I would try to make myself invisible. And sometimes I'd be the only woman, you know? So it's like, you're not really invisible in that <laughs> sense, but I was so, I just didn't want to draw attention to myself and I just wanted to do my job, you know? And I think now I look back and I'm like, gosh, Anna Catherine, like you really should have like advocated more for yourself in those early years and your story ideas, you know? And I think young people, regardless of like race, gender background, they should do that more. Um, and just if there's different things you want to try. I mean, one of the things I think is so wonderful about our media landscape today is there's so much you can do. You know, you can record, you can go film a documentary. You can record a podcast. You can produce social media storytelling around a team. You know, like there's there's so many avenues you can take. And so don't like limit yourself to one. Um, and I think, I do think like undergraduate and graduate schools help you with that. Um, but I wish, <laughs> I'd, I'd been even more curious about the different ways you could be a media practitioner. You know, I was like, I love writing. So I'm just sticking to writing. And you can't even really get away with that today. But I I do wish someone had said to me like, hey, why don't you, you know, and the great thing about being at ESPN was like a lot of times when I would write a story, they would produce a video feature accompaniment. So I would get to see the producers working. I would get to see the talent. Um, and I loved that. Like I loved trying different things, but I, I wish I had like pushed even more to be able to do a lot of that. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.